0: Could we turn again, please, to that portion we read just a little earlier, 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We want today to think upon the theme of suffering saints and endangered sinners. Suffering saints and endangered sinners. And we want to center our thoughts on those verses at the end of chapter 4, verses 17. 19. And with the word of the Lord open before you there, let's just come again to the Lord. We need his help. We need his guidance as we seek to divide rightly the scriptures of truth. And let's ask for his help. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we come again in our Saviour's name before thee. And oh God, we're so very conscious of our lack of knowledge or weakness or inability, Lord, to rightly divide thy truth. We pray that thou wilt guide us, that thou wilt lead us, that thou wilt give us every word to say. And oh, today we long for the Saviour to be uplifted, for his presence and his power to be known in this meeting. Oh, come and visit us, we pray thee, and grant that we'll Be greatly challenged, encouraged, and blessed through the word of God this day. For we ask these mercies in Jesus' name and for God's eternal glory. Amen. This epistle was written to the provinces of Asia Minor. and Peter had been brought news of their affliction. Indeed, if you look at chapter 1 and verse 6, chapter 3 and verse 17... And then again in the portion that we read a little earlier, you will see that recurring theme of facing trials. Those to whom he wrote or described in chapter 1 and verse 1 as the strangers that are scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. The strangers scattered, it literally means the sojourners of the dispersion. Now that description is only used in two other occasions even in the scriptures. In James chapter 1 and verse 1 it's mentioned there. But much more interestingly you will see it mentioned in John's gospel chapter 7 and verses 34 and 35. The Lord Jesus Christ is there speaking to the Jews. And he's saying to them ye shall seek me and shall not find me. And the Jews on that occasion, they asked the question, mockingly of the Savior, will he go on to the dispersed? In other words, the strangers scattered. Will he go on to the dispersed among the Gentiles? In other words, they were referring to those people uh, during the ministry of Christ, those who had fallen upon difficult times and hardships and persecutions had forced them to leave their country. But Peter here writes to them that he might encourage them. He reminds them of their present standing. And Christian, it's our present standing today through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though they were in circumstances that were challenging now. Yet they had an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for them. The trials that they now face would be for the praise and honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ at his appearance. And also Peter reminds them that the Lord took note of them. They were precious to him. And therefore the Lord is sending this letter that he might comfort them. And believer today, I don't know your trials. I don't know the problems you currently face. But oh, I want you to remember that Christ will never leave you, child of God, nor forsake you. And whenever we come to these verses, verses 12 through 19... Peter is again bringing encouragement to these suffering saints. But he's also challenging those who are endangered sinners. And I'm sure both here and over the internet, those two groups, I'm sure, are known. I want you to notice, first of all, with me, in the time that remains, I want to center our thoughts on two two things here that we find in these verses 17 to 19. Let me show you first of all the comfort to the saints. The comfort to the saints. Now when we come to consider these verses, we need to distinguish between the judgment of grace and the fact that there is a judgment in wrath. And we need to distinguish also between the temporal punishment from that which is eternal. Both are spoken of here in these verses. The truth here in connection with the saints saints of God is of temporal punishment and judgment according to grace. For I want you to notice here, firstly, that we see the correcting of the saints. The correcting of the saints. You see, our God is holy, men and women. And he reacts against all sin, but especially the sin in his people. You remember how the psalmist said in Psalm 94, Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teaches them out of thy law. In Hebrews chapter 12 and the verse 10, the apostle Paul is comparing the earthly father with the heavenly father. And in that portion he says for they verily speaking of our earthly father. For a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he referring to God our heavenly father for our prophet. That we might be made partakers of his holiness. These trials are appointed by God. I want you to notice in verse 17 the opening words for the time has come. It literally means the proper time, the due season. These chastisements are sent, child of God, across our pathway when they will be most in season, whenever they will bring our greatest goods, good as the Lord molds and fashions, like the potter fashions the clay his people. The Apostle Paul reminded the Corinthian believers that when they were judged, He he includes himself here. He says, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the word. But also the trials and chastisement that comes upon the believer. In these words we're encouraged that they won't last long. Indeed, they will only occur through the believer's lifetime. We'll only experience them then. For we read, for the time has come. The time has come. Our suffering is in this life. For us as children of God, why eternity will bring fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Remember how that Abraham, how he spoke to that Certain rich man in Luke chapter 16 and the verse 25, and he said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus' evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. We see here the correcting of the saints. I want you to notice, I've already alluded to it in the introduction, I want you to notice our current position as saints. Let's look again at verse 17. And as we do, let me remind you that in the scriptures, God has two houses. They're both mentioned. There is heaven. That is the Father's house. That's where Christ's glory is manifested. And then there is the church. That's where his grace is shown. And Peter here speaks of us. Child of God as being part of the house of God. Christ is its builder. We are those lively stones that are built upon Christ. That sure and eternal foundation. But remember how that a house speaks of a, of a dwelling place. It speaks of a place where we can reside. And oh today we are in Christ and we reside in him, and we are protected and defended by our Savior. He not only speaks of their correction, but of their current position. But notice also with me that the Apostle Peter, speaking to encourage these believers, he reminds them of the conflicts of the saints. In verse 18 he says, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, Oh, the thought is, of with much labor and with much difficulty, we will be saved. And as the saints of God, we must walk through those many trials and tribulations, even in life. Remember how that David the psalmist in Psalm 34, he penned those words, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. And we face that daily battle of overcoming the flesh, of resisting the world, of remaining steadfast and immovable for God in the midst of our trials. And yet the Lord gives us preserving grace. And he will at the last bring us with great joy and rejoicing home to be with him in heaven. For I want you to notice here the great comfort is that there's no uncertainty as far as the salvation of the believer is concerned. This righteous will be saved. The righteous will be saved. Nothing is able to separate us From the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And So Peter reminds them of their conflicts. But nonetheless. Nonetheless their salvation was certain. Even in the midst of great trial and difficulty. They were the Lord's. And none could pluck them out of his hand. In spite of how great those trials and conflicts were that they faced. But there's one final comfort. And whenever we suffer unjustly for the cause of Christ, notice we can commit the keeping of our souls unto a faithful creator. That word commit, it's a tremendous word. It's the same word as the Lord Jesus used in the cross. Whenever he said, Father, into thy hands I commend. It's the very same Greek word. It's the thought of keeping their souls. It literally means to deposit them. It's the thought of a bank deposit box. The thought of depositing something that is precious. And how precious child of God, men and women indeed, is our souls. And we can deposit our souls to our faithful creator. The one who has created us. The one who is faithful to his promises to keep us. The one who is ever faithful to us his people. And the one who is able to keep, praise God, that which we have committed unto him even against that day. Oh what comfort there is here. When we remember that he corrects us in mercy. When we think of the current position that is ours in Christ. When we think of the conflicts and yet they cannot change. The fact that we are truly saved and will be at the last in heaven. And that we can commit in the midst of our trials. Our souls, the keeping of our souls unto the Lord. There is another side to this verse. For not only is Peter writing to comfort the Lord's people. But he also speaks in these verses about those who are unsaved. Am I describing you today? I want you to notice that that which comforts the saints is a challenge to these endangered sinners. Peter uses three words to describe them. I want you to notice in verse 17 the sinner If you're unsaved today, this is how God sees you. They are those that obey not the gospel of God. The gospel, of course, is the good news of Christ to a fallen humanity. And the gospel is to be obeyed. That's a lesson here. And therefore it is a tremendous sin for the ungodly to disobey the gospel. It is a sin against the greatest of light, to know the gospel, to know the truth, to have heard of Christ, and to know that he alone can save you from sin, and yet to say, "I will not have this man to rule over me." It is sinning against those attributes of God that be that bring him the most glory, for it's a rejection of His grace. It's a rejection of His mercy. It's a despising of the loving kindness of the Savior. And I want you to notice in verse 18, he gives a further description to those unsaved. He speaks of those as ungodly. And in our opening prayer, we mentioned a nation today that sadly is in large measure ungodly because it speaks of no regard or having no fear. Of the Lord. Notice also he speaks of the sinner. And we might well ask the question what is sin? And it is any want of conformity unto the law of God, or it's any transgression of the law of God. Thus, what sin is. And this is the character of the sinner. And I may well be describing you, dear listener. But I want you to notice something here. In spite of your sin, let me show you in these verses the compassion of the Lord for sinners. You see, as we look out on the world today, we have the seeming prosperity of the wicked. That's what hindered the psalmist in Psalm 73. He was envious at the foolish. When he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And you may well be very prosperous. Even though you are a Christ rejecter. But in reality it is not that the Lord is overlooking your sin. No it is rather the long suffering of God. In his dealings with sinners. Remember how the apostle Paul put it in Romans 2 and 4. That the goodness of God. Let should lead them to repentance. And that's the thought. The goodness of God. Seeking to lead the lost. Even to repentance. The Lord deals with his people's sin first. That he might give further opportunity for the sinner to repent. And this theme of the long suffering of God has already been mentioned by Peter in this epistle. I want you to look back with me to chapter 3 and the verse 20. and Notice there what he pens from the Lord, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. I want you to underline those words. The long suffering of God waited. The thought is of waiting out to the very end. Waiting to the very end. And that's what God did. He waited to the very end. And then God shut them in. And the door of opportunity for a sinful world was closed. But God waited unto the very end. And sinner your danger is that you misunderstand the long suffering of God that you become bold in your sin. Just as we're reminded in Ecclesiastes 8 and 11, that because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And another danger that you face, dear unsaved loved one, is that you exhaust the patience and the forbearance of God for coming back again to the flood, we're told how that in Matthew 24, in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not. Listen, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away the compassion for, of the Lord for sinners. Let me show you also the certain punishment for sinners. There are two sides to this verse. And the solemn truth in these verses is this, that because God does not and will not overlook the sin that is in us, his children, but he corrects us, he chastens us, He will also punish the sin of the wicked and of the sinner. In Proverbs 11 and verse 31 we read there. Behold the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth. There's God dealing with the righteous. And that verse goes on to say much more the wicked and the sinner. And the danger is that this day. Thy soul will be required of thee, that you will face this certain punishment, that you will be brought out into eternity with no preparation made, with no Saviour, with no hope. But I want you to notice we have here the conclusion of the sinner. You see, unlike the believer. The judgment continues in eternity for those who are unbelieving. They have sinned against an eternal God and that is why their punishment is eternal. And there are two solemn questions that are asked here in verse 17 and in verse 18. And I want to say what a good study this is. The questions of the Bible. You should study that you learn some tremendous truths, young people especially. And I want you to notice here in verse 17, let me draw you to the first question. What shall the end be of them that believe not, obey not, sorry, the gospel of God? The end simply means the conclusion. It's simply speaking of a life that is fixed. There is an end date. There is an expiry date. There is an appointed time for men and women and young people even to die. Their opportunity ended. God's mercy brought to a close. For it is appointed unto on men once to die. And, but after this the judgment. And the Lord Jesus Christ on one occasion he asked another question. And it was this. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Do you know that question is repeated twice in the scriptures? It's repeated in both Matthew and in Mark's Gospel. And the solemnness of that question is this When you have lived without Christ and you have died without a Savior, what will you then give in exchange for your soul? And the truth of the answer of that question is this it's too late. As Ecclesiastes tells us, where the tree has fallen, it will lie. And when you have lived and died and without Jesus Christ, it's too late. There is nothing you can give to God in exchange for your soul. Your soul is then not only doomed as it was in your lifetime, but it is now damned for all eternity. It is lost. It is an end without a glimmer of light. It's an end without hope. No wonder hell is described as the blackness of darkness forever. In Jude's little epistle, verse 13. But there is a second question here and with this we'll close our time together this morning. I want you to notice verse 18. Where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Let me underline that word appear because I want you to realize that there is a resurrection. Remember how that Job said in chapter 19 and verse 26 and though after my skin worms destroy this body Yet in my flesh shall I see God. I'm reminded of the very solemn words of the Saviour again to the Jews in John 5. And he speaks there in verse 29. And shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I'm reminded today of John and what he saw of his revelation of Christ even in the Isle of Patmos. And in Revelation 20 in the verse 12 he speaks of the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And he goes on to speak of, in verse 13, of the sea giving up their dead which were in it. Of death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. Oh let me tell you, you will appear, you will be resurrected. Even your earthly remains have been cremated. God will resurrect them one day and you will stand to appear before him as one who has rejected him. You will appear. The old Puritans used to believe that the believer would have a body, a glorious body. Of course, that came from the scriptures. We believe that. But they also believed That the ungodly would have a body fitting their sinfulness. And I imagine they take it from those words that our righteousness is why they're just as wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. That's what our sin is like. That's what our sin is like. And we will appear in all, the, the ungodly will appear in all the filthiness of their sin Just as we will appear in all the glory that is ours by Christ. You will appear with no advocate. No one to plead your cause. You will appear on the left hand side of Christ. That side where the Saviour will say depart from me into everlasting fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels. And the great danger for the ungodly is this. That you will die in sin and you will face this eternity. Suffering saints, endangered sinners. Tell me today, am I speaking to you as a dear saint or a sinner that is in danger? I trust today the Lord will minister to your work to your heart as He by His Word as He sees your need. And that he will bring you, if you are still unsaved, savingly to himself. May the Lord write these solemn thoughts and encouraging words even to all of our hearts today for his great.